Hey, hey, welcome back everyone to another broadcast of In the Trenches. Today, I get to sit down with Ann Janzer, who is the author of Subscription Marketing. And we're going to get into this idea of subscription marketing today. And uh, I'd like to hear a little bit about you. How did you get into this world of subscription marketing? What led you to writing this book? Thanks for having me here, Tom. So I got here because I was working in the software industry. I spent a lot of years as a freelance marketer, marketing consultant, and writer in, in the software industry. And as you know, if you've been paying any attention at all, software now is sold almost exclusively as a subscription in the cloud. We don't have those boxes. You know, remember how our offices used to have all the boxes from with all the disks and things that they would ship us. And we don't need those shelves now for boxes as we get everything from the cloud. So this transition kind of happened as I was working with lots of different companies. And I noticed that although the fundamental business model was changing, the way that the companies were actually interacting with their customers was changing because of the subscription model, but marketing wasn't. Marketing was doing the same old thing, chasing the net new lead, thinking of the sale as a transaction rather than as a relationship. So I wrote the book almost out of frustration that I wanted to get my message out in the world. I wanted to catch the attention of uh, marketers and software companies uh, and other businesses that were disrupted by subscription. So as I started doing the research, I realized that this is way, way bigger than software, of course, that subscriptions are really changing and shifting a lot of different industries and that the breadth of the change was surprising to me. So I wrote the first edition in 2015 and it published in January of that year. And uh, the funny thing is that I had so many people I would show the book, even people who were working in essentially, you know, a subscription business. And they say, oh, how nice. So you, this is for newspapers, magazines. You know, I mean, that was, I, I spent the first year just explaining, no, 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 this is bigger. And now I don't have to do that anymore because we're all kind of waking up to it. I thought 2015, I was already late to the game with this book. And it turns out that, uh, you know, I, I was... I was not. <laughs> so I did a second edition in 2017 with a lot of the things that I've learned in the course of two years of talking to uh, small businesses, talking to large companies, talking to entrepreneurs. All of those lessons that I learned, I think I wrapped up into a much larger second edition of the book. Yeah. And, and so I want to dig into that in a second, but I want to comment on this idea of like the transition that's happened probably in the last like decade, maybe maybe even the last five years, kind of more more explicitly, but definitely the last decade, this, this move towards subscriptions, this move toward instead of selling, especially in digital products, uh, software. So instead of buying like in addition to something, everything's moved uh, almost entirely. Um, uh, the majority, at least software programs that I use are now subscription-based. Yeah. I, I pay a monthly fee or annual fee um, instead of just being a one-time software purchase. So, it, uh, you know, it's, 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 I'm actually surprised now anytime I do find a software company that sells like a standalone edition of software software. You know, that's an interesting kind of case. Like, so what do you think of this in terms of like kind of the broader, like, I guess you could say economics or the macro view of subscription. It, it seems like one of the, the change, the shifts in the consumer aspect of things is you don't really own things anymore. You kind of just rent them. What's your opinion on that and your take on that? And how does that maybe impact what we do from a business perspective? Well, so I'm going to look at two ways this, this impacts you. Obviously, the, the whole sense of where risk resides in the relationship shifts in a sense. I think when you used to just sell something, if I just sold you a widget, you assumed all the risk if that widget was going to work, if it was going to work for you, make sense for you. That was all on you. Now I have my money. I was going to go off and do something else, right? Which is obviously not every company supported their works and things like that. But basically risk exchanged in the transaction. And in this world in which instead we are have an ongoing relationship, 
you know, I as the vendor, in a sense, am taking the risk when I sign you as a subscriber, because if it doesn't work for you, you might take off early. And I've probably spent money <laughs> to acquire you as a customer, to get the lead, to nurture you, to get you through the sale process and to serve you. So I may not make money until you've renewed for a little while. So this whole idea of risk, you can see where it shifts in the equation of the, the relationship. And what this means is as a business, uh, I have to be more careful about selecting my customers. And then for those who I do want to do business with, we have to establish trust. They have to trust that I'm going to continue to deliver what they need and that what I'm delivering will continue to have value. So it takes much more of a, it's a relationship. It's not just a transaction. It's actually a relationship. And that fundamentally changes, I think, the way that you do business when you think about it as relationships versus transactional sales. Yeah. And you've seen it kind of like impact every area. So we talked about software pretty obviously, but you look at music and you think of Spotify. It's like, I think now that the, the trend is like people don't really buy like a single, even iTunes, which was like transformative at the time, making music digital, but it was like spending a dollar on a song even is, seems almost bizarre now. And I don't know how big a marketplace that is anymore for them. But when you think about things like Spotify and other music services, it's obviously that's been hit as well. And it extends to beyond software and just digital products. But to, I, I think any almost any space I've looked at, seems like they could possibly integrate a subscription type model, coaching, consulting, service, like professional services to a degree. Uh, oftentimes, I know this, a lot of things are considered like retainers and stuff like that. But I guess broadly speaking, they can kind of still fit the model. So maybe you could break that down for us. Like, How do you perceive this idea of subscription marketing and subscription-based services or software or anything like that? Like Creating this kind of framework around subscription to, to sell a subscription to whatever you're selling products or services. Right. So, I mean, you know, can everything be sold as a subscription? Probably not. And, you know, there's some things you're only going to need once. But can there be a subscription component to your relationship with your customer? Probably yes. You know, probably it could be through ongoing data collection. You'll get ongoing insight. I gave a, a, an example that I learned when I did the second edition of subscription marketing. I reached out to people who were on my email list and said, you know, I'm looking for interesting stories, you know, bring them. And one guy uh, contributed because he ran a company that was um, a professional services staffing company. So these are the people who you hire to help you fill executive positions. And when they fill the position, you pay them a big chunk of change, right? So this is kind of, that's the standard model by which these work. And he said to me, the problem is, is this puts you in a way in competition with your client, because if they find the executive and hire them without the search firm's assistance, then they don't have to pay that fee. So now you've got this weird relationship, right? They're hiring you, you want to serve them. And yet, you know, they have a financial incentive to maybe do some stuff on the side and not tell you about it, not share leads. It's kind of weird. So he said, enough of this. I'm just going to offer this as a subscription <laughs> and just change. You sign me up to help, you know, and obviously pricing was an issue for him to figure out. And he had to spend a lot of time educating his clients. But then he said, if you sign me up, doesn't matter how many successful hires we have, this is your price. Now, suddenly, everybody is working to the same set of objectives, which is finding the right people for the job, you know, together, collaborating on that. So for him, you know, there's some things you have to get right. It has to make sense from a business model perspective. And, and he thought that this made sense in terms of psychologically working with his clients. Um, he had to spend time figuring out the pricing and tinker with it especially if you're pioneering this in your industry, you know, it, you've got to spend some time to, to work that out. And he had to make the pricing really as simple, but he had to, you know, work with that. And you, the transition can be painful if you're used to getting big chunks of money up front 
as opposed to sort of more of an ongoing trickle of, of subscription revenues. Um, subscription revenues are great over time, but up front they can be painful because it's going to look like a drop in your revenues. So I like that story because it illustrates kind of all the different the psychological factors of the relationship, the financial factors of the business. And, uh, you know, he had to train his own people. He had to, you know, he was really going against the grain, but now he's done something that completely differentiates his business. He's in the Texas, somewhere in Texas, you know, so I think these are localized markets, but it completely differentiates his business. It's entirely different. And those relationships, you know, he's no longer a, and well, let's use this search firm, then we'll use that search firm. I mean, you know, it's no longer a commodity. It's a relationship he has with those clients. And I think that that has to be a huge uh, advantage in this kind of a, in his kind of a, an industry. Yeah. So, so break this down for us. Like, what do you see as like kind of the, the things we need to look at if we were to, if we're considering integrating some sort of subscription model into our business? Um, maybe the, the individuals listening to this are selling, you know, package services or products, uh, digital or otherwise. I guess before I go down that route of just saying, oh, here's a monthly fee that you, you know, I, I charge, okay, we're good to go, kind of wash my hands of it. I know there's probably some things we need to think about. So for, I guess from a broad level of view, then we can kind of get into the weeds on it. But what, structurally speaking, like what do we need to... What, what, what do we need to think about before we can kind of implement something like this? Right. So, you know, the, the first thing to, to remember is that it's always... You never want to get in the position of taking something away from someone who's been used to it, right? So if I set up something where I'm giving you a whole, you know, 100 hours a month of, of service for a, a fee or, uh, and then you're like, you know what, I, I can't do this. So I'm going to cut you back to five for the same price, right? <laughs> now you've just caused a lot of pain for the customer. So I, I think you want to be careful with the pricing so that you don't do something that is not sustainable and you have to back out of. You know, companies can survive that. I don't know if you remember... Um, Evernote. So they have the, the free note-taking and people love yep. it. And there for them, the free version was their marketing. It was their viral marketing. Everybody loved it, wrote about it, talked about it. And then it got too big for them to sustain. They couldn't offer that much free. So they said, you can have it free, but only on two devices. So for a lot of people, that's a huge part of the value prop of that is gone because we have you know, you've got your desktop, you've got your laptop, you've got a phone, your iPad. It's like, well, I need it on more than two devices. So they survived, you know, that dialing back, but they were at a position where they had a lot of funding. You and I may not be in that position. If you're a solopreneur, if you're getting something started, it can be really painful. So don't set yourself into something unsustainable. You might try with a smaller, a subset of your offerings or try something unique and, and pointed and see what works and what doesn't, because, you know, it's not necessarily as simple as just putting a monthly fee on it. You might, you know, it, it takes some work to get it right. Um, but the, the main thing to think about, and, and from a marketing perspective, this is, this is, again, my background, is to think about that your job is to continuously deliver value to your customer, right? Not just at the point of the sign up, but after the fact. If they're not using it, they're not getting value. So you need to jump on and figure out why they're not using it, what you can do. And so you need to help people find the value and you need to continue to remind them of the value that they're getting as well. So you, after the sale marketing is, you know, hey, look at this, you know, you downloaded 10 courses. How's that going? Or it's, you know, you, has this helped you in your job or, you know, whatever it may be, or all of my, you know, all of our customers together have done this much in the last month. Isn't it cool that you're part of this community of people? Those are all ways of, of adding value to that experience of being a customer because you're no longer just selling a digital service. You're now selling an experience. And that's one of the, the biggest mind shifts to get your head around is that now you're in charge of that customer's experience. 
So, okay. So one, one of those things then it's, so the, the first piece was, I guess, the thinking kind of broadly speaking, like how do you have to think about your service, whatever you're offering product or service as an experience versus like, you know, a transaction. And the second piece was engagement because if somebody's paying for something in a subscription model, if they're not engaging with it, if they're not using it, if they're not coming back to it, then churn will increase. People will drop off. They'll stop using it. So that's obviously a big factor. So did I did I summarize those two points? Yeah, those are, that's great. Yeah, yeah, good summary. So what happens next? What what do we need to think about outside of that? Because I want to, I probably want to come back to a couple of these points to dig in a little deeper. But I want to make sure we have a good overview to start with. Um, what happens next? I think is is that you need to having defined your service, having defined what this what this is that you're offering. You need to tamp down your instinct to just go wide and get as many new leads, new sales as, as you possibly can, new sign up and focus on getting the right ones. Focus on getting the people who are going to find the most success, who are going to renew, who are going to find it, you know, they're going to think it's a deal because they're getting so much value out of it. You focus on those people and they essentially become part of your marketing, right? Because when people are really happy, they are going to help you find more of the right people who are going to be happy with it. So it's hard because we are, you know, it's so exciting to have, oh, look at how many new people we signed up this month. But it may not, if they're not, not the right people, it may not be a good sign, actually. You might be better signing up a smaller number of the right people who are then going to not only continue to reinvest, continue to subscribe, resubscribe, but who are going to recommend you and going to share the word and, and really help you spread the word about what you're doing. Do you find that in that context that when you have a subscription model then... That did you, I don't know if you, you, you've noticed anything like this, and I, I don't know if it's, it's even possible to really know this for sure, if there's like stats out there. But do you find that there might be like a... Because you mentioned one of those things is you have to keep coming back, adding value, make sure they're getting value, kind of focus in on the right people. But you mentioned this thing, like they'll, they'll spread the word. They'll kind of be part of your marketing arm, so to speak. Do you find that like subscription type services, ergo, have like maybe kind of more virality built into them, more word of mouth, like marketing power built into them. Is there anything like that that's kind of like, you know, nested within this as well? Yeah, I think that's, you have the possibility for that if you do a good job of delivering on the experience. And then as marketing, you can also figure out how to help that, how to help feed that uh, other people evangelizing what you're doing. Now, the, the cheesy way is just to offer people, you know, money for every referral. And, and you know, people do that. I'm not cheesy. That's not what I'm saying. It's, it's kind of the lazy way. And sometimes it backfires yeah. because then you're, you're taking away that person's ability to be generous by recommending. You know, if they really want to spread the word about it because they love it, then that's a different motivation than getting a $10 Starbucks gift card, right? I mean, that's a different thing, right? So you're eroding their generosity and that motivation, that in intrinsic motivation. Psychologists talk about intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. And if you want people to do things that are creative and things, it's better to tie into that intrinsic motivation. You know, one of the things I love to do is... Um, Watch what Amazon does because, boy, if someone is spending a lot of time and money analyzing behavior, it's Amazon, you know? So yeah. you read a book and then they're like, hey, how did you like that? Would you like to help other people figure out if this book is good for them or if this, you know, juicer is going to work? Would you like to review this? You know, so they're giving you a chance to review it and that helps the vendor or the author and it helps other people who are looking for it. They're not offering you money to review it. They're giving you a chance to contribute something to the community of people who might be in a similar situation. So, you know, can you do something like that? Can you offer your subscribers a way to leave an honest review, for example, or to, you know, would they be willing to join a forum where they could help other new users of your service? Or would they be willing to, you know, you appeal to people's desire to help other people. 
And that's a really great way to help feed the viral nature, build a community around your offering and, you know, get the recommendations and the referrals and the word of mouth going. So you have to be a little intentional in terms of giving people a, we're all so busy, we're all so stressed. You can't just expect, even if someone really loves it, that they're going to take the time to recommend it. If, if you don't give them something to trigger that behavior or remind them or ease the path of taking that behavior. So that's one of the marketing, you know, clever post-sale uh, marketing things to do as a subscription business. Mm. Do you have any kind of uh, ideas on like, in terms of like, if somebody's kind of getting into this for the first time, and especially if they're not, they haven't done it before, or they're not used to selling something in a subscription type, uh, in a subscription type style, we'll say, or that using that model, when they approach something like this, is it, I guess, what would you recommend? I don't know if you've worked with companies in that, that capacity, like where, where they don't actually have anything that they have made into or, or created as a subscription uh, model yet. I'm curious like what your take is in terms of like when they think about like defining what that subscription thing is going to be. Like, does the whole business have to shift over to that? Or do you find that the, it can be successful like if you have like maybe a component of your business that's subscription-based and other things are not? And like, how does that fit into, I guess, the, the hierarchy? Or, or how does that fit into the business model as a whole? Because I think subscription is like its own beast for sure. Like there's a lot of things to, to factor in. Just the, the idea of like up to product updates and things like that that you wouldn't necessarily be forced to do if you were selling a one-time transactional th- you know, thing, whatever it is. Right. So I'm just curious, like what's your take on the person who's kind of wants to implement this to begin with? How they should like think about maybe rolling out a subscription portion of their business or, or some, some product or service, what are the things that you have them kind of look at or, or, or put together? So uh, I, most of this is I've gotten this information through interviews. I haven't been actually advising too many companies directly on how to do this. There are folks who do that. But I think it's going to depend in part on the size of your business. The subscription model, you know, you've got to look at it from the lens of the customer. Right. So uh, if you want to, you know, you may not be ready to go all into it. It may not make sense. There may be some things that you offer that simply don't make sense as a subscription. So you can look at a subset. You can look at, you can target a sub, a different market. You can target a slightly different set of potential customers who might be more open to that subscription. So that's one way to do it. You can segment it by market. You can segment it by product. I have, so I, I, I write books. Well, they're not subscriptions, you know. I have some online courses, but it's not enough to have a subscription. But I have a subscription relationship that is not tied to revenue through content with my email subscribers, right? And so that's another way. It doesn't always have to be tied to content. There's still value in that. For me, I'm trying to deliver value to people on my email lists and uh, they deliver value by giving me insights that lead to new editions of the book. I mean, that's that was awesome. Um, by, by keeping me in touch with what people are doing. Um, and when I have a new book, they're, they're there. So, I mean, it, the revenue is its own puzzle to figure out. But what matters is that it makes sense for your particular customers and what they're willing to subscribe to. Now, if you have a larger business, the larger and more well-established your businesses, the more you have departments and standard operating procedures across different groups of people, the tougher it becomes, I think, to maintain two different revenue models for the same sets of products. And the, you know, the, the classic story on this is Adobe who went subscription first with the creative suite. And for about a year, they maintained it both as packaged software and as subscription service. And then they're like, this is enough. We're, we're, it's all going subscription, enough of that. Because it was you know, two separate models, two separate ways of thinking about the customer, two separate ways of maintaining the software was was too much. So they flipped it over and then they have since flipped all of their software products to, I think, the cloud and have had 
phenomenal success financially in doing so. They got a lot of grief when they first did it from investors. It was like, what? You know, you're giving up income. What are you crazy? You know, but that, uh, you know, they, they took the long-term perspective, which is often, you know, the long-term perspective is often the, the required to be successful in a subscription business. Yeah. And it seems like, um, you know, for somebody who's established who's the customer base isn't used to the subscription model, there's always going to be that tension that's created and some people aren't going to like it. Adobe's an interesting one when you look at it, like it or hate it, you know, it was a change. They made it. I think they're maybe more profitable than they've ever been. If not, I'm sure they will be soon enough. Mm-hmm. But, um, it also has this like compounding nature. And that's what I think is the most attractive aspect of this. And, and SaaS companies get that. Like That's what they shoot for is like that MRR, that ARR. And, and, yeah. and there's a multiple on that that you could sell that for. It makes it very lucrative. So I guess I'm, I'm curious, like not to dig into the software aspect of it, because I think you know, there, there are listeners I know who, who are developing software companies, but I think a lot of my listeners are have digital products or sell uh, professional services. So I'm curious, like your take on something like this, if you were, you know, if, you, if you're having a conversation with somebody who is, you know, maybe they have some digital products, maybe they sell e-courses or e-books, mm-hmm. that, that kind of, what do you think is like the thing you'd have to kind of like, you know, think about or organize properly to be able to turn maybe whatever you're, say, if it is content focused, say you've been kind of more info product content focused, how would you kind of look at establishing or creating some sort of like subscription model around that? Does it necessarily have to become, you know, a Netflix style, you know, subscription model? Does it necessarily have to follow like some of these other kind of things that, you know, that are more, you know, people are commonly used to seeing? I'm kind of curious about that. Like, does it necessarily mean I have to like, adopt a specific type of, you know, established model, like, which is like a lot of content. Like that's kind of when I look at Netflix, it's like quantity. And so people pay for quantity. So I'm curious what your take is on that, especially for people who are selling like info products, educational stuff, and they sell maybe people who are spending like a lot more money on digital type products, you know, for business marketing, those kind of things. What's your take on something like that? Right. So I think, um, you know, the, the Netflix, you know, for them, the value is quantity and variety. Right now, you and I are not going to be able to have anything near that quantity of variety. So if you look at the thing that you is that you're thinking of offering via subscription, say it's you've got the set of courses, but the subscription has to have something more. Again, we're talking about it's an experience. It's not just the course. If you're just selling the course and expecting, re, you know, courses and expecting recurring revenues, you're it's just commoditizing. So what else can you add that people will find valuable? Can you add a sense of community? Can you add live events that happen monthly where people can get their questions answered? Can you add the ability for people to collaborate in an online community? A lot of people use Facebook groups for this, but you could use something that is also, you know, standalone on your own property. Can you access, you know, so maybe people have occasional access to a, you know, to speak with you one-on-one, a certain amount of, of personal access. So now, now it's not just a course. Now it's an experience. It's a complete experience that has a lot more value. A lot of this stuff is still pretty scalable. Can you add community? And in life, can you do a once a year in-person community? People love, I mean, one of the most generous things that you can do is connect people with other people that they are going to find valuable or interesting. So can you have an in-person event that happens once a year? Um, a lot of this, yes, it takes work, but it's highly scalable if you're looking to scale out. It's work you set up once and then you can hopefully expand and grow. And this will support this growth of your subscription business. And also, you know, so that's how you take something that's just a digital product, a, a digital product plus. What's the plus? Mm-hmm. The plus has to be something that they find value 
in and you're not just you're not going to out netflix netflix you can't throw the kitchen sink in unless that's what you decide okay i'm going to get everyone i know to contribute something every month or something and that's what you're going to do bless you then that's that's your value (laughs) but good luck with that there should be like two two things i take away from that that tell me if I, i got this right or what your thoughts are on these two things so it sounds like one is if you're going to kind of move into the subscription model space and you're typically custom selling e-courses or digital products. If you want to move into a subscription model, you can't just kind of take what you have necessarily and just uh, make it content-based and people, people are paying monthly for it. You probably have to add something a little bit more unless the approach is, well, kind of like getting new content all the time. That could be maybe one game you could play. The second is community, it sounds like. So if you can create some sort of community element to it, that, yeah. that's kind of mission critical. Yeah. Um, was that about right? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. I think community... Other things like access to to you or to people on your team, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then the second piece, it sounds like because of that, then what I what I think it necessarily dictates is actually kind of niching down, so to speak, or getting more narrow in your focus, which you kind of alluded to actually earlier on, like you know picking the right types of customers. But I, even so far as like actually. It seems like what would succeed or what would be most successful in a subscription model in terms of like info products, digital products would be those that are like hyper targeted. So like if you do have a community and you know, if it's broad, maybe there's value in it, maybe you can play that game. But it seems like this would actually work the best for anybody who can really niche down and go really narrow in their field. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I, I, I think it's so much easier to add value when you are really niche because you understand the pain and you can put together really relevant things. You could put together relevant communities. Yeah. So I, it's, you know, it's that everyone wants to go wide and serve everyone. And yet, you know, that you're, you're so much more competition proof when you're niche you're, and you're so much more easier for people to recommend to the other right people in your market when you're niche, because they can explain it. They can explain who you are and who you serve. Yeah. And, and so I see this model actually happening a lot now. I, I, I've heard somebody refer to it and I, I kind of call it this now too, because I don't know, it, it kind of had a ring to it, but like service as a service. And so it's more, more and more companies kind of like, uh, you know, outsourcing specific things that typically would have been like one-time thing like design or writing or whatever it is. And instead of again, packaging it and selling it one time, it's like here, you can get unlimited amounts of X, you know, uh, you know, with a 24-hour, 48-hour turnaround or something like that for this m- one monthly fee. Like I've seen it done in WordPress, you know, design. So like kind of a bunch of different areas, tech support, uh, you know, all, all these different areas. Is there anything to like kind of consider when it comes to something like this? I, I know it would still fit the subscription model. I'm just curious kind of your take on this, like the service as a service. Because that seems like one of the easier or that seems like if you're not technically inclined, if you're not a technical founder and you're not, you know, if you're, and you're kind of bootstrapping or something like that. It seems like service as a service could be something that you could get into, you know, probably more easily and more quickly than trying to develop software or even going the content route. So I'm just curious, kind of your take on this specifically. Is there anything to consider or what are your thoughts on this? Definitely. I mean, I think that you, you're right. I mean, service as a service is something that we can all figure out how to deploy uh, if you, if you do any sort of professional services. And it's something that, you know, it feels scary because you're thinking, well, I can't, I can't give people unlimited, you know, what if everybody uses everything and then I'm just going around like a chicken with my head cut off all the time, or I have to hire so many people to do it. What happens often is that the value for the customer of service to the service isn't the unlimited hours. It's the sense that they have made that decision about who they're going to go when they need it and they will call on you. So it's it's that sense of peace of mind of that decision being done, of that worry resolved. And they generally won't overuse and abuse. Um, I mean, I th- obviously, you can put something in the contract that would limit abuse of the service. So you could put some top end on it in the sense of protect you. But it's people will tend to use less than you suspect. But 
that doesn't mean that they're not getting value from it. They're getting the value of that peace of mind. And one of the things I think that you can do, you know, I would avoid the temptation to sign up clients for this and then like be really quiet and just ignore them. But I would just continue to send them little bits of content that might be useful that they might find interesting because even if they're not using your service, they're getting value. You just want to keep dripping value out to people all the time. Be generous with that. And I think you might find a really good success with that kind of model. I would, you know, go with your comfort level, sign up as many people as you are comfortable trying at first and then see how it works and how it scales. Yeah, I think that's a great a great first place to go, Tom. That's a good, good idea. And as far as like, uh, you know, subscription models concerned, do you find that there's any like pitfalls that the people typically step into? Any areas where, you know, I suppose you could say negligence or naivety can kind of get you. And like, what do you, what do you find as like, those are the most common, like what are the things we need to avoid? So I know you have kind of the standard things like definitely be generous. You know, I think niche down can be appropriate. It's all about like kind of engagement. So staying in touch and staying kind of top of mind, getting people to use the service. But beyond that, are there any things that, that you've seen companies or other people kind of do and, or common mistakes companies or people make when they kind of implement a model like this? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the biggest mistakes is just to not let go of that transactional mindset and and think, oh, you know, I'm going to, now I'm going to upsell them. You know, I, I was on the phone to a bank the other day because a credit card had been stolen, you know, while it was stolen, making the phone calls to all the banks. And this one, you know, you go through the voice answering machine and you know, yes, it's a, it's a stolen card, you know, so lost or stolen, stolen. So they know now I've gotten through and they take that moment to send me somewhere to upsell me to a loan pro- program for veterans. It's like, okay, well, not only am I not a veteran, which, okay, maybe you don't have that data at your fingertips, but I just told you my credit card was stolen. This is the point I need an answer. You know, think about where your customer is coming from when they interact with you and put aside your desire to upsell and cross-sell and meet their needs first. It was such a, just a classic example of me feeling, you know, what you chose this moment when I just told you I'm stressed, right? I just told you I'm feeling stressed. To do an upsell, that's not a good, not a good plan. Usually, so the thing is that things that just seem like that's just an operational glitch, right? I mean, they should have thought it through. They didn't, they, you know, whatever. To them, it's just sort of, oh, well, we just kind of didn't plan out that campaign. But to me, it feels like betrayal, right? So you need to be particularly careful about how you interact with customers, even in transactional ways, because... What we see is just, oh, I handed off to this person. They missed it. It's, you know, this is business. Feels personal to the customer. And, you know, empathy, empathy, empathy. The more you put yourself, that's why it's so helpful to be niche because it's easier to put yourself in the shoes of your customer and think about what they're seeing and what they're thinking and what they're feeling and how they're approaching this when you're niche. And that will make you more empathetic. And that's just going to make you more successful as a, as a business. Yeah. And it seems like a lot of this stuff is like kind of f- fundamental to like anything you're trying to do. Like, so anybody's listening to this, like, cause I think the same things, whether you want to use the subscription model or not, it's like these kind of fundamentals I think are important and it can't be overstated or stressed enough. Cause it is scary to like niche down, but it's like probably the most lucrative thing you could do. Cause I think we're in a, a space and an economy that's the kind of like global economy, especially when you're doing work online. And the fact that like, I think the majority of the world or the entire world will be connected online by like 2022 or 2024, a substantial amount. And just the raising the level of wealth around the world is increasing it like exceptionally fast. And so all of a sudden we're not, it's not like one market or anything like that. There's just like, there's a million now 
niche markets, a million yeah. sub markets. There's plenty of wealth in any one of those. And so I think that's like a scary thing for some people to hear, but it's, it's worth it. It's like, can you niche down? Can you niche down even what you're doing? And yeah, it means you might have to say no to a couple of clients. Maybe you have to fire some existing clients. Yeah. Uh, there's probably ways to smooth that process. But at the same time, it could be probably the most lucrative and most valuable thing you can do. Because I think that's the world we're, we're in right now. That's like, that's the competition. It's, it's not, uh, you know, it's this whole long tail, the nature of long tail. And, yeah. and can you serve a long tail market? Yep. Yep. And you know, this is, you know, Tom, this applies to writing books mm, as well. Mm -hmm. You know, the more specific you are on who you're trying to reach, the better your book is going to be, you know, the more you can tap into your natural conversational skills. I mean, it's just, it's yep. the same thing. I talk to other nonfiction authors and I'm just trying to encourage them to niche down, at least in what they're thinking and how they're positioning the book. Um, that doesn't mean it's not going to go wider, you know, because if you really do a great job of serving one set of readers, other people will, will come along. They will find it because those first readers are such uh, strong advocates for what you've done. I love so it. It's business writing. There's so many parallels. It's, it's yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think it's fantastic. Well, and I, we're coming up to the top of our, our conversation today, although maybe we'll have you back to talk self-publishing in the future if you're interested. That'd be, be an interesting, interesting sure. take on it. But for now, if people are interested in learning more about subscription marketing, connecting with you, where should they go? The floor is sure. yours. Yeah. So uh, you can find what I'm doing at my website, which is my name, anjanzer.com. And there's a silent E in the and. Don't forget that. Uh, the books are there. I have uh, two emails. Uh, one is related to subscription marketing and one is related to writing practices to email lists. And you, there's a contact form or if you, you know, if you have a question or some idea you want to bounce off of me, you can just send me an email to Anne at AnneChancer.com. And I always love to hear from people and what, what you're dealing with. And so just feel free to reach out. I love it. Well, if, if for those who are listening, definitely reach out to Anne. Check out her book, Subscription Marketing. You know, it's less than 10 bucks on Amazon. It's a no-brainer. If you're even considering going this path or you've already started, pick it up. I really highly recommend it. And reach out to Anne and let her know that you found her from In the Trenches with Tom Work. Is that, that'd be great. Just so she knows that people are coming uh, her way from here. That's always good for me. I, I like hearing when, uh, when listeners are reaching out to our guests. So I would just say, Anne, thank you so much for being on In the Trenches. This is a pleasure having you. Thanks. It was a lot of fun, Tom. Appreciate it. Are you trying to grow your online business, but struggling to get new customers consistently and predictably? Are you tired of working nonstop only to see your income plateau? Are you ready to step off the hustle hamster wheel, as I call it, and step onto a path of predictable profit that you can scale as much or as little as you want? Don't worry, you're not alone. I've been there. When I first got started, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. So I started reading blogs and listening to podcasts by people I respected and wanted to learn from. I slowly but surely put their recommendations into practice. But because I wanted to do it all myself, maybe you, you're something like that, right? You love to do, do it by yourself, learn through trial and error. Well, bottom line is it took forever. Results were unpredictable when I was first getting started. I wasn't sure where to spend my time, money, and energy. And shiny penny syndrome got the best of me on more than one occasion. For many entrepreneurs, the amount I sacrificed, working literally nonstop in some cases in my spare time, and 12 and 14 hour days routinely after going full-time, combined with the endless fog of war, aka that uncertainty that I had to deal with at all times because I was going it alone. I think that would have been enough for most entrepreneurs to throw in the towel. But I was persistent, focused, and I stayed humble. Day after day, I worked to grow the traffic to my website, increase my list of subscribers, and generate a healthy living for my eBooks, eCourses, and other digital products. At least that was the goal. But maybe more important than the work, was that I paid attention to what I was doing, including what worked and what didn't. Eventually, I discovered a predictable pattern of growth, 
And so what I did was I just doubled down on those things and I scrapped or sidelined the other things that weren't working so well. Finally, two years after resigning my commission as a captain in the army and going full time on my online business front with my blog, with my podcast, et cetera, I replaced my income with digital product income. Two years. And so if that's where it stopped, I would have been happy with it. I would have been happy with the results. I wouldn't have complained. I would have been very content just replacing my income. But the bottom line is it was so much work. I wanted to you know, see if it could go somewhere else, right? So I just kept doing what I was doing, but better, faster, and more effectively. Again, just kind of applying the same system that I discovered uh, from seeing these patterns emerge, right? So I implemented it. I kept doing it. And eventually, replacing my income turned into doubling my income. And then that turned into a little bit more and a little bit more. But not just that, it afforded me the freedom to dictate my day and also choose the projects I want to work on, on the schedule and on the timeline I want, and to work with the people I want to work with. And to me, that's like a whole new level of freedom, especially coming from the military. It's something I've never really had that level of complete autonomy until I became my own boss. I started my own business. And until ultimately, until it became profitable enough for me to start to take a step back and actually reap the rewards of it. Because it's not all just working, working, working. And I do believe it's hard work. And I'll always say that nothing about doing this stuff is easy. But at the same time, you've got to reap the rewards at some point and take some of that profit, uh, even if you're just reinvesting it into new assets and things like that. Bottom line is, it can't just be work, right? Entrepreneurship and business is about that result that occurs, the value you've created and the profit, that that piece of value that you've captured, okay? And you want to be able to reap the rewards of that profit, of that value, that little sliver of value that you get to capture, that you get to net, right? You want to be able to take advantage of that. Otherwise, you know, the entrepreneurship game really does become just a grind. And, and for, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, unfortunately, it becomes meaningless and that's when they quit. Well, for me, I love this stuff. I really, truly do. I mean, it is my thing. And so that's why I didn't just stop where I was at. I've stayed committed to learning everything I can about all aspects of this online business world and this online marketing world. And I do this through real world application. In other words, I'm currently growing several online businesses and I'm always putting my ideas to the test in real time with my own money, with my own time and energy, oftentimes with employees, you know, a lot of some, some stuff more advanced, some stuff more simple, but, you know, so varying levels of complexity and again, in different spaces, different niches. And I can say, you know, bottom line, I've always loved the startup hustle, but I got to say, it's nice to now be in a position where I can get big results with much less effort. Thanks to having built the foundation of my business the right way. And again, I did it all through trial and error, but I don't think that that's the way that everyone needs to do it. And in fact, looking back on it, if I had to redo it, I don't know if I would. It was so difficult to just go it alone and try to figure everything out by myself. So one of the things I've tried to do is give back with this podcast, with my blog, and with my newsletter. But maybe even more rewarding than any of this stuff, while I've enjoyed all of it, I think the thing that I'm enjoying the most, that I find most engaging and rewarding is the premium business mastermind and coaching program I run called 100K Academy. Inside 100K Academy, I help ambitious entrepreneurs who are very driven and excited to be doing what they're doing. I help them grow their reach, their influence, and their profit using my proprietary marketing system. That's the same one I use to scale my own online businesses from zero to multiple six figures and beyond, and the same system I use to help my clients reach the New York Times, Wall Street Journal bestseller list, set Kickstarter funding records, and create viral product launches that have turned into predictable revenue streams. So lots and lots of case studies that you can find at tommorcus.com. If you're curious, just go to tommorcus.com slash about, and that'll get you started. 
Most importantly, this system is one that 100K Academy members and alumni have used to achieve tremendous results, like Alexa, who used it to have her most profitable year ever, or Tina, who used it to make five figures from a sales funnel that she can now replicate and scale, and that's exactly what she's doing, or Carrie, who made over $75,000 in just seven days. And the crazy part about his story was that his online business was actually a side hustle up until that first profitable launch, which he has then been able to grow and scale. And he subsequently quit his job following that very successful week. And I think that that has been just a game changer for Carrie and the life he's living and the work he gets to do and the impact he gets to make on the world because of the great work he's doing now, because he was able to figure out a system that would get him the targeted traffic, the subscribers, the sales to grow a profitable online business. Bottom line, if you want to grow your online business from six to seven figures, but you flatlined or you're struggling, or you just want to be told what to do and when to do it and in what order, right? And you want a system that is predictable and scalable and isn't just you know another shiny penny, but actually will fit right into your business. It plugs in and is something that you can truly grow. I want you to go to tommorcus.com slash academy. That's tommorcus.com slash academy. Academy is spelled A-C-A-D-E-M-Y. Go to tommorcus.com slash academy, and you'll find a page on my website with more details about 100K Academy, the business mastermind coaching program I run, as well as instructions on what to do next. Again, that's tommorcus.com slash academy. And if you're serious about growing your reach, influence, and profit, just follow the instructions and we'll be in touch, okay? Again, tommorcus.com slash academy. Go ahead and head over there now. That's it for today. Stay frosty.